Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to The Big Football Show, the Athletics Daily Podcast dedicated to Big Ten football. I'm Nicole Auerbeck, National College Football Writer and Analyst for the Big Ten Network. And as always, because it's Monday, I'm joined with Scott Dockerman, our Iowa beat writer. We want to thank you, our legends and listeners, for spending some time with us and adding us into your podcasting rotation this season. It really means a lot to us. And if you enjoy us, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars, just like Ari Wasserman's favorite prospects. And Scott, we have gotten to a day that I don't know if everyone thought we were going to get to, but we got to the end of the season. We got to selection day. We got to the postseason, and and we had a semblance of a season. Yeah, I mean, on August 11th, did we even really think that this was going to happen? I mean, you know, on all honesty, or September 3rd or whenever. I mean, look at yeah, that eight-page document of everything going on until September 16th, and here we are. Selection Sunday, the Big Ten is involved. The Big Ten has a team in, in it. And, of course, that was a huge part of the discussion as to, uh, even though all year we knew the Big Ten wasn't going to play that many games, but it finally became kind of a national issue as whether or not Ohio State played enough to be considered. And the committee says it was, but uh, for a couple of teams, it wasn't enough. Yeah, let's let's start there. So not only was six games, including the Big Ten championship, enough for Ohio State, it was enough for the number three seed. So... Let's go through how Saturday unfolds. So that game is noon, which also is a little bit weird to get used to. Um, Ohio State doesn't look great early. Northwestern is really hanging in this game. So all the concerns are about the eye test and Ohio State not looking great. And, you know, they end up winning. Pull away at the end. It's a top 15 win. And at that point, as soon as Notre Dame starts struggling against Clemson, it no longer becomes, did Ohio State do enough to make the playoff? It becomes, did Notre Dame do enough to make the playoff? Did you, were you surprised that ultimately when all was said and done, six games was not just enough to make it, but it was enough to make it with room? I think so, because this was never a, a criteria year. There was just too much variance between the leagues there's not enough non-conference games. I mean, the SEC had 10 scheduled games within the league. They usually play eight. Nobody else, you know, other than the Big 12 and ACC, really nobody played outside of it um, except for rescheduled games in the Pac-12, at least among the Power Five. So it didn't surprise me at all that uh, um, that Ohio State moved up with six games. I think what it was was this year was an eye test year. Who did you think was better based on – the eye test because there wasn't a lot of comparison that you could do statistically game control. There were no real crossovers. You know, there was no, 
you know, they played Indiana, which beat Missouri, or Missouri beat Indiana. There was really none of that except involving really the Big 12 and ACC. So that was real. That so you basically had to gauge it with your eyes. And Ohio State met that criteria because on when it comes to the paper and the and the numbers, it, you know that that one would have made it the argument a little bit weaker. They were kind of the poster child for uh, for the selection committee, right? Because I think that one of the main narratives coming out of selection day was about how the committee really did just pick who they actually liked and just kept saying, we watch a lot of football, trust us. And we really should have seen that coming when they had Ohio State in their first rankings at 4-0, four games in. It was as if they had just been waiting for Ohio State to get started and had already decided that this was a team that they liked and they were going to treat them well. And so the narratives around all of that were, were always interesting, especially when, you know, and we've talked about it on this on this show about the the championship game and did Ohio State need to play in it? Certainly it helped. I mean, I think, you know, having a piece of criteria that's listed as a tiebreaker was important for them, but they were in a good position all along. This committee very much like the Buckeyes all along, and they were going to give them credit for these last couple games down the stretch where they were undermanned. And and I think that that wasn't surprising. And I think what is good about the way that this all shook out, because again, it depended on the way that Clemson beat Notre Dame for some of this, but we don't have to sit through Clemson Notre Dame a third time. We don't have a rematch of a rematch less than two weeks after they played last time. We don't want to see that after what we just saw. Those two teams at full strength are not close. And what it does is it sets up a Clemson-Ohio State rematch from last year in New Orleans at the Sugar Bowl. And, and I think that has a lot of juice to it. I mean, this was a really interesting, tight game, controversial calls. And, and certainly, as you know, we've heard Ryan Day say you know, during his different media appearances on Sunday, this was something that had been eating at them, the way that they lost this game to Clemson last year. So I love that storyline. I think that that's that semifinal to me is a lot more compelling than Alabama Notre Dame. Yeah, it is. I mean, th- this this playoff era since we started it in 2014 has really been about three teams: Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. In some semblance of this playoff, it's been those three. I mean, I think Clemson and uh, Alabama missed a total of once each, and then Ohio State's been there, what, four or five times, something like that. And so this has become kind of a natural semifinal in some ways. And I like the fact that they're playing against each other because there is a history there. A few years ago, they played and Clemson killed them. It was like 31 to nothing like three or four years ago. Last year, a very even matchup. Uh, was it Sean Wade that got kicked out. I was flying back when that happened for like a questionable targeting call. Very close game, competitive game. I just think that right now um, I like to see this because there's been a lot of discussion about Ohio State. There's they they've kind of got <laughs> preferential treatment is probably a fair way to describe it. And for these teams, they understand it. They don't like it at all. And so Clemson's kind of targeting Ohio State. Ohio State's sick of being the targeted, you know, that I think that's something that uh, makes it a very delicious matchup once it takes place. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, 
Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So I'm pretty sure these numbers are correct. Um, 28 spots in the top four over seven years of the playoff, and 16 of them have gone to Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State. So that's a lot. And and I, I think that this is a topic that I'm going to dig into and talk to a lot of people about in the coming weeks because – the fatigue factor here, I think, is real. And I think that this idea of, you know, every year this just inevitable march to the same teams playing uh, this year, it certainly feels inevitable that it's going to be Alabama-Clemson. Um, again, although we, we we don't know, Ohio State hasn't played a team in, in that tier yet this year. But I wonder, and I, I think I know where you stand because you and I both have written columns about how the system is not working right now. But how can that be good for college football that it's the same teams dominating this thing? And there's only four access points. So if it's three teams that we pretty much pencil in every year, all we end up talking about is that fourth spot. And it's been Oklahoma a bunch. It's been Notre Dame a couple times. It's just it's it's the same teams. And I feel the fatigue. Do you feel the fatigue? And, And like, how bad is this for the sport? Yeah, there's a lot there. And I mean, we could spend all off season. We probably will talking about this. Yeah. Um, you know, and maybe for the next few years. I mean, it, it really kind of harkens back to the entire system of college football. When we went to the BCS, I mean, how much of a train wreck it was it that every year the SEC champion was basically gifted in. I, yeah. I remember the year when uh, Florida State was undefeated. It deserved to be number one. It's not, The team it played was Alabama, and Jay Jacobs said it'd be un-American if the SEC champion didn't get in the BCS championship game when Ohio State was undefeated. Now, Michigan State took care of that, but I thought Michigan State was better than Auburn, too, and it didn't, and it didn't work. And so when you look at the, the playoff, every year it's been one of those, two, you know, as you said, 16 out of, out of 28 bids have gone to these teams. It's just, yeah, there is a fatigue there. How do you get it back? How do you save the sport? How do you make it equitable? I mean, there's all kinds of issues here that are in play. How do you do it? How do you do it with the eye test? Because let's face it, uh, going back to like Boise State and, and even UCF with Scott Frost was there. They're really good power five or group of five teams. Do the current ones measure up? Uh, do they have the eye test? Is it fair? Should they automatically get in? Should they not? There's all these types of questions and everybody comes at it from different angles and i think what we my opinion which is pretty vastly different than everybody else's is that i i like the idea that you can go through the college football season and and appreciate it for what it is then at the very end worry about the playoff instead it's just this drumbeat of the playoff and the playoff in alabama and dabo sweeney and and ohio state can they play and then next thing you know it's yeah, it's those guys, and Harbaugh wins 10 games, and that doesn't matter. Ohio- Iowa State finally goes to its first January Bowl ever, and they're the bad guys. Uh, that's – I don't like this. I don't like it at all, and I think it's making the sport look really bad, and so I think they've re- that everybody needs to take a step back. It's going to take a lot of analysis and not for marketing uh, 
rooms for that's for sure. I, I agree. I think it's a, I think it's a really bad look for the sport. I think it's a, it's a problem when you have a team like Cincinnati, you can't even sniff the conversation for the fourth spot. And you have, uh, you know, was it was it Kirk Herbstreet who went on ESPN and was saying that the little guys should just suck it up and, and take the higher road? I didn't hear that, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's it's ridiculous the situation and the environment that we're putting these group of five teams in that are doing literally all they can. There's no justification. And Iowa AD committee chair Gary Barta was the guy who had to try to come up with justification this year. There's no justification for Coastal Carolina 11-0 being two spots behind a three-loss Iowa State team that lost to Louisiana, who lost to Coastal. And um, there's no justification for Cincinnati being below Oklahoma and also a three-loss Florida team. Like, it it just... I, I really don't have a problem with the top four. I think that they, they followed the rules and the justifications and the protocols and got the top four. Notre Dame was the clear choice over A&M in my mind, if you looked at their resume and the, and the quality of the wins. But I think everything beyond the top four was inconsistent. It was trust us on this or we're going to dock this team for this reason, but not that one, which did the same thing. And that's where it got really frustrating. And I think now seven years into this, again, you see the same teams in every year. You see the teams that can't even get close. And it, it's it's about access. It's I don't think anyone would have a problem with if you had an 18 playoff and Cincinnati was, let's say, the eighth seed and they lost the first game to, to Alabama. At least you knew, like, at least you played it out, right? Like, I I think that's what bothers people so much. And again, the inconsistency of the application. You're right. Iowa State is now a a bad guy because the committee made them the bad guy because they justified them for no real reason ahead of Coastal Carolina. And I got to say, Indiana got screwed in this whole process, too. I mean, first of all, we know that they got they would have been in the Big Ten title game because they, you know, they've reached the minimum number of games if they could have played it, we, again, they have COVID issues, so not not necessarily a sure thing, but they should have been in a New Year's Six Bowl. The committee consistently devalued them in ways that they did not do to other teams in Power 5 leagues that have different names, that are more traditional football powers. Indiana had a great resume. Their one thing was a close loss to Ohio State which the flip of that is that they gave Ohio State a good bit of credit for beating Indiana. But then they, they continually kept them too low. And so when you see the New Year's Six Bowls and you see the matchups and there's no Indiana, despite the season they had, all of these benchmarks they hit for the first time in a long time, being one of the best stories in college football, and they choose not to put them in one of their spotlight games. That is, there's something wrong in the system if you don't do that for this Indiana team. Like, how are they in a position where they are not a shoe-in for a New Year's Six Bowls and you've got three lost teams from the Big 12 and the SEC ahead of them? <laughs> you know, the whole thing that I've been thinking of really over the last few weeks, but certainly yesterday and today, is Gary Barta is the figurehead for this messed up system. And what he is going to say People are going to stick to him really hard. And I'm going, he's in the toughest spot of any chairman in the history of this whole panel because Iowa's biggest rival is Iowa State. They hate each other. 
It's not debatable. Indiana is part of the Big Ten. Indiana and Iowa were admitted the same day in 1899, yet he's trying to parse the difference between the two and justify keeping in his in-state rival who he hates and would not want to be there and keeping out a team that not, that not only it's been locked arms with for 130 years, but one that would add more revenue to the league that desperately needed, that Gary Barta had to cut four sports because of lack of revenue. So he's trying to cut through this, you know, thread this needle, and there's no eye in the needle. Well, 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 so are you, are you kind of saying that maybe they shouldn't have set up this format where current sitting athletic directors are in these positions? In, in the speaking role, absolutely. I do. I I agree. I, I don't I don't have that much of a problem with them being on the committee, but I think in the speaking role, this this season was the perfect example of that, where he had to defend these decisions and then be part of a call with the Big Ten as they voted to change their rules to make Ohio State be in a better position to make the playoff. That is a dynamic you don't want, and I, yeah. I just it's. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if that means it's like always going to be a former coach or a former administrator. Someone needs to be the spokesperson because it's been sitting ADs this whole time. Mm-hmm. But that is a problem. It became a big problem this year. Yeah. And relative to that, he understood it was a conflict of interest and he was in a tough spot. So he calls Kevin Moore on the day of and says, I'm going to listen, but I can't speak and I can't vote. We will recuse ourselves as a diversity on this because of his position there. And he got only, and the funny part is, and well, not funny, it's, it sucks, is that he got placed on that because Gene Smith wanted off. So now he could talk about Ohio State and talk about Iowa State, but he can't talk about his own team, which is 15th, which I'll say this, the eye test I'll throw them on the field against any two-loss team in the country, and they will be there. Now, I'm not saying they're going to win, but I'm going to say they well, will compete well, against anybody. Here, here's, a, here's a question. Do we believe that the Big Ten teams, except Ohio State, did get dinged for not playing as many games? Because Ohio State didn't, but you, I, maybe that's the justification for Indiana and Iowa being where they are behind teams that have lost more games. Because I can't think of any other real valid reason. But Ohio State, again, the committee liked them before they even played. So that one, they had an exception. But even USC in the Pac-12 was getting dinged for not playing as many games. It felt like the, that Ohio State was the exception to the rule, but everyone else, it, it did factor in. It's because their names are Indiana, Northwestern, and Iowa. If that was Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin, it would be completely different. Name power means everything. When people have gone on to complain about Ohio State and, oh, they only beat Indiana, and then the crying face, smiley emoji, they haven't seen Indiana play. This team could play. This team's got a defense. If Michael Penix was there, which he's not, but if he was, that's a dangerous team that I would say... Go out and play Florida and Georgia, and you'll be fine. I'm not saying you'd win. I'm just saying you're not going to make yourself look bad. And I would say Northwestern, defensively, they can hang with anybody. Iowa can hang with anybody, but their names are not there. And Iowa started 0-2. It couldn't move up. Georgia lost two games horrifically and couldn't move down. (laughs) I mean, Florida has lost two consecutive games, including the one team that now finally got to 500, and it hasn't fallen. You know, it's just... It's a, it's a weird system. It's a rigged system for sure. And it's not always rigged against the little guy. It's rigged against certain teams. I mean, that's the problem with college football going all the way back is you have the extreme blue bloods who get everything they want. 
you have the media darlings, which is kind of like NCAA basketball tournament, you know, Dunk City, Florida Gulf Coast. I mean, that's kind of coastal Carolina now. And then you've got the teams in the middle nobody wants to see except their fans. And that's Northwestern. That's Iowa. Usually, except this year, it's Iowa State. Um, <laughs> but here we are. And and it's it. It's different than Selection Sunday with basketball because you're talking about 68 teams and oh this team got screwed. Well, they're 18 and 14. Go go. Right. They had they had so many flaws on those resumes when you're talking about like the snubs yes. for basketball. But we're talking about frankly the most important sport, the one that makes the most money, the one that matters in most media environments, most con- and, and to see them get dinged and see teams fall all the way down to certain bowls that they probably shouldn't be in is is really it's a shame so yes i think the next year year and a half two years there needs to be some serious conversations about imploding everything from day one and going to like district football like high schools to we're not going to do it any differently i mean just to have this Constant conversation, because otherwise, I, I fear, going all the way back to this conversation at the beginning, that we get to, it's just these teams, and everybody else is going to go, and 10 win Michigan, you suck because you can't get there. You know, who cares about 8-4 and four Iowa, even though you have a great story? Who cares about, and Iowa State is the bad guy, which just cracks me up. But, you know, or Oklahoma State, or whoever. You know, it's going to all be the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I am with you, and this is going to be an ongoing storyline because they made it this way this is worse than the bcs and the bcs teams had things to play for that mattered that were rewards that made you feel like you had a good season there were things that were valued in the regular season and now the sport is entirely through this prism that only three teams four teams ever really get to be part of and even the ones that have been part of it aren't necessarily even enjoying it. Oklahoma's reputation now is that they make the playoff but get blown mm-hmm. out. And that's like, in, again, it's 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 just we, we do need to blow up the system and figure out a different way to incentivize what people want to incentivize, um, make sport matter for more people, keep more people and audiences and parts of the country engaged in it. There are ways to do this. But we'll see. That's going to be an ongoing off-season conversation. But on the subject of the one Bulls... More, one uh, more point I yo, want to make yo. on this is, five years ago, I saw this firsthand and it was disgusting. Iowa was 12-0. Most wins that ever had. All we heard was dings against their schedule. It wasn't their fault. The Big Ten just revised the entire schedule with legends and leaders to east and west. It couldn't help that... Nebraska was five and seven. It couldn't help. It didn't play Michigan and Michigan State, which it did the previous year. Yet they're a poser. They're a fake. They're a fraud. And so that stuck to them throughout. All they did was win games. All they did have was have grit. You know, same thing with Michigan State. Michigan State beats them by a fingernail and they go to the playoff. They get crushed by Alabama and then it's over. And I almost think going to your point about the BCS and then well, I know we'll move on. And that is that the when you remember the Boise teams with Kellen Moore and some of those teams back in the oh, 10, 12 years ago, they were really good, and the BCS rewarded them. They were up near the top. In fact, I think they would have gotten in. TCU was in that when it was at uh, whatever league it was in at the time, Mountain West, I think it was, um, before it went to the Big East for about five minutes and, and moved over. Those teams moved up and became automatic qualifiers in four, and and Boise almost 
advance in the BCS title game. That's not going to happen. And to top it off, in a playoff system, the teams with the most incredible talent and depth are going to win, which are always the Blue Bloods. So in a one-game winner-take-all, a Boise State could win it, a Wisconsin could win it, an Iowa could win it. Um, in a three, four, even two-game playoff, it's going to be about attrition, and, and those Blue Bloods have it, and the mid-tier does it. If you double the, the, the access, so, and again, there's going to be conversations that are going to be happening for not just weeks and months, but years. Even if the championship game ends up being Alabama-Clemson, it's more interesting along the way. There's chance. There's people have a chance to play it out on the field, and it's not just someone getting up and saying, "We think this team would beat that team, so we picked them ahead of them." So I think that's the push, and also designated champion spots, the push for a designated Group of Five champion spot. All of these things, they don't fix the underlying problems of inequity in the sport, but they're significant. Band-Aids and and they make things they, they solve some of these issues that we are talking about um, on a year in and year out basis. Now, I do want to at least address, you know, kind of the bowl lineup we've got for the Big Ten. And, and you know, obviously, our, our great colleagues will get into you know more of that throughout the week on this podcast. Um, but before we discuss who is playing, uh, a number of prominent Big Ten programs are not playing in bowl games. The biggest one, obviously, Penn State. And then, um, you know, you had Nebraska, you had Minnesota, you had other programs opt out of bowl games. This isn't new. This is something that the ACC teams have been doing for, what, a week and a half now because their season ended a little bit earlier. A bunch of Pac-12 teams have opted out. And I don't blame anyone. I think that it has been a long, grueling season. If you talk to anyone on any of these campuses, they will tell you about the stress and the anxiety and the just the the it just exhaustion that they have been living under with these daily protocols, worrying about doing what's right all the time. The just the stress of taking a test, waiting for it to come back, just spending every night alone in your dorm room, whatever it might be, not around friends and family. So I have no personal problem with it. But we did end up in a point where not all the bowls were able to be filled. And some of these bowls ended up getting canceled because of that. I wonder, Scott, if, because I think you also have sympathy for, for everyone who's been living in this world and, and understands that, you know, people want to be around their families. And the worst thing that could possibly happen would be if you sacrifice Christmas and all this time with your family and then the bowl gets canceled like three hours before the game. And you, you know, what was it all for? Right. But my question is like, is this something that could roll over in a non pandemic year? If we are used to this idea of teams opting out, like we are individual players, which I think we all have normalized that star players are going to skip certain bowl games at certain levels. I wonder if the team opt-out is something that actually carries over out of 2020? That's a great question. I don't know that, and I don't think so, because a, a lot of, you know, like the Big Ten's handbook is that you will accept your bull bid if it's offered to you. Um, that's going to change, obviously, in the future a little bit, but I don't see people, teams opting out of bulls in a traditional sense. I think it's the culmination of six months, and even really nine months, 
of everything you mentioned. I mean, this has been a pandemic that's taken a toll on everybody in every single way. And as the parent of two college students, now they are here with me, but if they were in a different city where they're supposed to be, I watched PJ Flex video for two minutes or talking about that situation. And the, the thought of Christmas Day, you know, or, or whatever holiday you celebrate, um, of walking up and you're sitting there with a, a, a sack lunch or, or even you're just by yourself or with four of your players at a team cafeteria and you're spaced apart with masks on. And it's just, you know, what after everything they've dealt with, that's really tough to to put them through it one more time. And um, now, you know, the school I cover, Iowa is a little bit different. They let everybody go already and they're bringing them back, which could have its own COVID issues. Uh, Kirk Ferentz already has it. There are a couple other people who do too on staff. Uh, He won't say which ones, but I've heard they have. And so they're going to come back on Tuesday. Um, They were gone as soon as the Michigan canceled on Iowa and he's like, once your finals are gone, get out of here. Go see your family. Go do your thing. We'll reconvene on that Tuesday and start practice for our bowl game and, and go from there. And that's that's kind of his way of, of alleviating that issue. But if you can't do that, or if you're a school where you only have a couple of people from your town, like let's, let's say Nebraska, you know, maybe there's only <laughs> maybe 60 of the players can't go anywhere. I totally get it. So. I think this is a, an unprecedented year, but I think, to your point, this has the potential to devalue the entire bowl system. And, you know, if the Rose Bowl is moving, then you know that there are some serious conversations. I've, I advocated for a, a, a basically a complete return to the bowl system and then add a 14 playoff. But if the bowl system is not going to be what it is, then you might as well just say, hey, Iowa and Missouri, instead of going to Nashville, why don't you go to St. Louis and play? And play at a dome. Or play on a campus. Yeah, or play yeah, or a cold campus. I mean, I, I'm saying a dome. I want to sit in a dome. I don't want to sit. Okay. All right. Someone wants to stay warm. No, but I think I think you're absolutely right. This is, again, there are some serious long-term potential impacts coming out of this season. And the impact of the bowl system, the future of the bowl system is absolutely one of them. To your point, if the Rose Bowl, and again, kicking and screaming, is not hosting a semifinal, not hosting a Rose Bowl, then what does that mean? What does that mean about a the need for a Rose Bowl, the need for bowls to be part of a postseason setup, right? So I think all of these things are going to be long-lasting um, conversations and, and, and storylines coming out of this season. In the Big Ten, though, the teams that are not opting out, the teams that are playing, I'll just run through the, the bowl matchups. As you mentioned, Iowa is playing a bowl game. They were playing the Music City Bowl against Missouri. Uh, Wisconsin is playing in the Mayo Bowl against Wake Forest. Northwestern to the Citrus Bowl versus Auburn. And Indiana to the Outback Bowl versus Ole Miss, which actually might be one of the most entertaining games of the entire bowl season. Um Quick thoughts out of that group. Who, which game you're most excited about, um, and and just sort of uh, reactions to those matchups. I I mean they all have a different level of intriguement. And I mean if I was to step way back and go without you know being provincial here, I, I like the Outback Bowl because I like the contrasting coaches, uh, Tom mm-hmm. Allen and Lane Kiffin. I think that's really intriguing. I mean Auburn doesn't have Gus Malzahn that. 
their offense against Northwestern's defense is intriguing, but you know, I kind of like the way Fitzgerald coaches the, the Wildcats, so I kind of think they're all right. And then is there a more perfect union than big, big, big Wisconsin going to a mayo bowl where they just got to slather everything with mayonnaise? So <laughs> I love, you know, obviously this is a new sponsor, but the um, <laughs> just saying mayo bowl has been quite enjoyable. I have a t shirt. <laughs> Um, for this bowl as well, but just like picturing a bowl full of mayo, which Andy Staples would probably hate. But I, I do picture that um, they're one of our favorite social media uh, bowl accounts too. They're very active. So I, I think it's going to be fun, um, the games that are played, the games that we do get in. Um, and again, don't fault anyone who does not want to play. I think all it does is speak to the difficulties of this season. And a lot of people have made this observation, but even when you have North Nebraska, who, who again, as we all know, pushed harder than anybody to play, wanted to play at all costs, tried to schedule the game against Chattanooga when they had a cancellation. If they decide that they want to opt out and that this has been too much, too grueling, they need to be around their families, then that certainly tells you exactly how hard this has been. Um, and so I, I think that that's all you really need to know about this and that these decisions were being made with the team. The players were part of these decisions. And again, you know, the players really wanted to play. They wanted to put themselves in these um, protocols and these campus bubbles and try to make a season happen. And they got it. They got their season in varying levels of, you know, success and the amount of games and, and the wins and losses and all of that. But they got their their season in. This is gravy, um, but a lot of people are going to get to close the chapter, put the book away, and move on to next season, get some time at home to recharge. Scott, last topic before we call it for the week um, and maybe get some sleep coming off of a busy weekend is Illinois hired their football coach. Brett Bielema is back in the Big Ten and back in the Big Ten West. Um, I think that the reaction to this hire was was very positive, Um, this idea that, you know, he is is kind of coming home. He is one in in this area of the country and in this particular division in this league. Was that your takeaway as well? I mean, I you know where I stand on this that I was hoping they'd go a little outside the box and consider a triple option coach, but you know, what, what was your general thoughts? <laughs> well, I like I know Brett. I like Brett. Brett was in Iowa, you know, 30 years ago and was an assistant and uh some of my, you know, he's a little bit older than me, so some of my older friends and him hung out a lot when he was in college. And as you can imagine that that was some, there was some trouble back then, but um, I think it's great for him. I think it's great for Illinois. I mean, he does, he is a tremendous recruiter and he understands people. He can walk into the living room. He can tell you what it is and where Lovey fell short in a lot of cases was there were a lot of recruits within the state borders that just kind of got overlooked and, Teams were able to pick them off one by one, you know, small town kid from X Highland Park or something like that, or the Chicago suburbs even. Um, Brett will be very much into that. And then you look at the the series um, in the West Division. Um, of course, Wisconsin comes to mind right away. Illinois, Wisconsin, they hate Brett. Um, they didn't like him when he left, and they like him less now. Um there's always been something for him in Iowa because he has a tiger hawk tattoo on his calf. Um, I'm interested to see what Minnesota will say. You know, check the card 
uh, might be a part of it. You know, he was hired the same year Fitz was um, when Fitz was at, uh, at North, and it well, still is at Northwestern, but he was at Wisconsin for that. And then Nebraska and he almost hooked up. So there's a lot of different angles here. Um, he knows the area. He can recruit. He's going to bring a style of football that I think will be successful to a degree. How successful? I don't know. I mean, that's going to depend on whether he can win 27 to 24 or lose 27 to 24. But I think he'll have Illinois not get run up and down the field like they have the last, I don't know, 30 years or so. And he'll be entertaining. And, yes. and you know, always here for entertaining coaches, unafraid to uh... – to push people's buttons. So um, there will be plenty more on that. I'm sure you guys will get into that later this week um, on the podcast. So we will wrap it there. Uh, just want to get you a quick run through of the weekend that was and all of the many, many storylines coming out of Selection Sunday. So thank you, as always, for listening and subscribing to uh, to our podcast, The Big Football Show. Don't forget to listen tomorrow. It's Tuesday, which means it's Bill Landis and Audrey Snyder breaking down the Big Ten East. Um, again, thank you to our legends and listeners for spending some time with us, adding us into your podcasting rotation this fall. It's been a blast getting to hang out with you guys and engage with you each week. If you like us, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars, just like Ari Wasserman's favorite prospects. For Scott Dockerman, I'm Nicole Auerbeck, and we will see you next Monday.